Welcome again to uh, the Rutgers Scoutcast, a Rutgers football and athletics podcast on the Scout Network. And I'm joined again, welcome back this week, Brian Doan, Scout National Recruiting Analyst here with me, Sam Hellman, Rutgers Publisher. And it was a busy sports week for a lot of people. You've got NBA champions, you've got your U.S. soccer most importantly, you've got a new WWE champion. Congratulations to Dean Ambrose. But Brian, I thought I we were think, talking sports. Yes, yeah, sports entertainment. And the biggest champion out of the state of Ohio in the last week is Dean Ambrose from Cincinnati. Yeah, I don't know who that is. But all I know is I was able to watch my U.S. men's national team progress to the semifinals. Say whatever you want about Argentina. Look, you got past Ecuador. You made it to the semis. I'm fired up about that. If you think you can compete with Argentina and you're the U.S., you know, give me a break. It's not going to happen when you got guys like Di Maria and Sergio Aguero, two of the top players in the world, sitting on the bench for the semifinal because they're not needed. That's how deep Argentina is. And I knew during warm-ups, you know, you're looking, you can see in the background, and I've seen Argentina in person before, and you just know when you're looking at Argentina, you're looking at the better team. And so I told my niece when it was one nothing. Three minutes in, she said, what do you think? I said, 4 nothing Argentina. And that's exactly what it turned out to be. Yeah, I didn't watch the game. I was actually sick. I didn't watch anything that night, but I probably wouldn't have watched it anyway. And now, before you tune out, yes, this is a Rutgers football podcast, so let's get on with the news. Hey, I heard football, and I just magically thought that you are talking about the world's game. Before we get into the body of the show this week, I want to take a minute and uh, speak on a serious note on a couple of topics. First, I'd like to acknowledge and express my condolences to the family of Sam Cali and the entire Rutgers Wrestling and Don Bosco Athletics community. As most of you know, Sam died earlier this week in a car accident, as did his high school classmate, Rhode Island kicker Leo Vigés, and... This is one that hit Rutgers Athletics and hit Don Bosco pretty hard. I, uh, I I didn't know Sam personally. I mean, I've seen him around a little bit covering Rutgers Wrestling this year. He was a big part of their future. He redshirted this year, and they had aspirations of him being a big part of their team, and he already meant a lot to those teammates. I know a lot of people in the Rutgers Wrestling community, and I know probably even more people in the Don Bosco prep community and this is a pretty devastating blow for them because everyone that I've talked to about Sam whether it's in a text or a quick call or whatever say he was a great kid and this one hit them pretty hard. I know I'm not the right person to be talking about this so for more information on Sam, his memory, And what he meant to the community, you can go to ScarletKnights.com and find the wrestling page with comments from Scott Goodale, Pat Hobbs, and information about the funeral services. I will say this, though, that his memory is going to be a big part of this Rutgers wrestling team moving forward. This is one of the closest teams that I've ever seen at the college level covering them, and I know that Scott Goodale is the right leader to get them through this tragedy There are going to be a lot of wins for Rutgers Wrestling this year, and I know a lot of them are going to be for Sam Cowley. Staying on a serious note before we transition into the news, I'd like to recommend that everyone that hasn't take some time to check out the GoFundMe page 
for Trooper Brian Malist. That's uh, former Rutgers linebacker Kevin Malist's brother. As a lot of Rutgers fans or more long-term fans already know, uh, Brian Malist was injured on duty in a car accident and has been paralyzed since 2005. That's something that Kevin and his family have rallied in support around him for a while, and it's someone that Rutgers football has been very supportive in the past. But now they uh, they need your help. They need our help to take the next step in helping out Brian Malist. He's trying to raise money via GoFundMe to get a new van to help transport him in a, in a safe way and improve his quality of life. And they've already done a great job in raising money. As I record this, they're more than three-fourths of the way there, but I would love to see this be a fundraiser that finishes strong. So if you get the chance, go check out his fundraiser page. It's on the message boards. You could also go to www.gofundme.com slash TPR underscore Malist for more information. Now on to the news. Welcome to this week's news on the Rutgers ScoutCast, and we're going to start with our prospect watch, Recruit of the Week, and that's none other than Wayne Hill's wide receiver, Tyler Hayek. Twice camped at Rutgers, he competed his butt off both times. The kid can run, he's 6'4", and he's the newest wide receiver with an offer from the Scarlet Knights. We got to see him up close with Bryce Watts, and I felt like every time Hayek ran a route, Bryce Watts was in coverage on him. And Watts did a really nice job on him, really really showcased his skills. I think Watts is going to be a lot better than people think. And Hayek held his own. I don't sit here and say, wow, he was open on every play. He was just absolutely unbelievable. But he held his own against who I think is a really good cornerback. Good ball skills, got off the line cleanly. He's just got to get a lot bigger and stronger. He has the frame to grow into a tight end once he he does put on weight. We'll see how he develops in the coming years, no matter where he goes to school. He is a kid that you love about the camp season because you go into it wondering who's going to catch your eye, and here's this you know tall, skinny kid running routes and holding his own, and he had some of the wow factor just in terms of, wow, who's this kid? Not that he was making all these great plays, but yeah, I, I understand why they offered. I saw him twice now at Rutgers camps, two weeks in a row. I worked the first camp with Garrett. That, that's because you're the only one who goes to all the camps. That is true. I'm the only one. But uh, I went with Garrett and worked the first camp, and I looked at this kid, and I said, oh, he's pretty impressive. Oh, the coaches are paying attention to him. they got to like something. He's wearing Don Bosco prep shorts. Don't ask me why, because he goes to Wayne Hills. But for I, now. For now, yeah. You never know with recruiting. But uh, I look at him, and... It makes me think uh, when Chris Clark, the tight end, used to be at Don Bosco as a freshman or a sophomore, this is what he looked like. Now, Chris Clark, obviously a lot more further along physically as a senior and started off as a tight end, but I looked at what Tyler Hayek brought to the table, and it reminded me of the first time I ever saw Chris Clark at a uh, camp at Immaculata you know, six years ago. So I, I look at him, and... I like his speed. I like a lot about him. What stood out to me a lot was I've talked to him. I've talked to his father a couple times now. Rutgers is telling him, we've already got three receivers. We want five. If you want to be one of them, great. What's interesting to me about that is that Rutgers only technically has two wide receivers committed right now. So unless they're counting Tim Barrow as a wide receiver now instead of an athlete, 
that means someone else might be coming on board pretty soon. Yeah, and I also think that it shows you where the receiver depth is. If you remember a few years back when Rutgers lost a few of those kids that they thought they were going to get, they signed zero wide receivers. Well, this is about when you're going to start feeling that impact of it because this is when they'd be kids coming out of redshirt years, being redshirt sophomores and ready to make a difference. That you're bringing in, the plan is to bring in five receivers is a little alarming because, again, it means you have no depth. But it's also putting some pressure on Hayek to hey, make a decision sooner rather than later and you're not going to have the time to go camp everywhere because the slots could fill up. And, yeah, with Tim Barrett, it doesn't surprise me that you bring him in as a receiver because look at what they have at cornerbacks already. They have a fair share of kids committed, whether it's Bryce Watts, Watts, Najee Jones, Edwin Lopez. You're looking at a lot of, you know, Lopez I think maybe more safety, but you're looking at, at a lot of depth there already, and you still have Harrison Hand on the board for a cornerback. So you need to replenish receiver and this is a kid that can give you some versatility because maybe he develops into a tight end. We'll see how much they'll use a tight end in this offense anyway. But, uh, yeah, smart move by Rutgers. And, and good call on you on that Immaculata gig. That was a quad scrimmage, if I remember right. And it was about, if I remember, 412 degrees that day. And we were there to see Darius Hamilton, Leonte Carew, al Qadim Muhammad, Tayshawn Bauer. Jabril Peppers, Yuri Jabril Wright. Peppers, Yuri Wright. I think... Uh, Nadir may have been on that in that game. That may have been when he hurt his shoulder in that game, and his dad's texting from the ambulance. Um, you know, fun times. But uh, yeah, good memory by you there. Well, I'm younger than you are. Not by much anymore. Final thought on uh, Tyler Hayek: If he ends up committing to Rutgers, it wouldn't surprise me at all. He wants to hit Boston College as one final camp because he's really only been to Rutgers and a couple of one double A's. Uh, but. Rutgers has some good slot guys, some good speed guys, some good possession guys. It doesn't have as much of just that run deep, run a fly pattern and make a play, and I think that that's what Hyatt could be if you line him up wide. And a red zone guy because of his size. Coming up, Brian, tomorrow, if you're listening to this as it goes live Friday, is my favorite camp of the Year. Oh, I thought you were talking about third place Copa America with the U.S. playing, but go ahead. I'm not sure what that means, but I'll have to Google it later. Uh, this is the, in, in essence, the end of the Rutgers camp season, the Rutgers passing camp, which everyone except for ScarletKnights.com will call the 7-on-7 seven seven tournament. Um, you, you look at this camp, and yeah, there's a couple smaller sleepaway type deals to close out June, but this is the the apex of the camp season with hundreds of schools a lot of big-time prospects on campus, and this is the the chance to get those kids on campus that maybe you haven't been able to schedule for visits that have been a little bit elusive. Their coaches are still bringing them to these events, and it's a great chance to get FaceTime with them. I think you're slacking because I had a seventh grader send me film the other day, and knowing that they had the sleepaway camp and there'll probably be like some sixth and seventh graders there, I do think you should go out there and you know kind of scour the Bush campus and see if there's anyone else there. It's a big camp, just in terms of the number of kids that are going to be on campus. And they're going to get to see some kids throw the ball. This this is receivers. Can they get in and out of breaks? How can corners turn their hips and run? And how can quarterbacks throw? So you look at Sitkowski from Old Bridge. They've been dying to get him on campus all spring. They couldn't do it. He finally came in with his team for a 7-on-7 after he made stops at Michigan and Ohio State last weekend. Not only him, keep an eye on... 
what goes on with Bergen Catholic and Johnny Langan, 2018 quarterback who some people have told me will make an unbelievable linebacker in high school, I mean in college. So we'll see what happens, how he throws the ball. His coach, Nunzio Campanelli, told me that he thinks Langan has a chance to be absolutely special. I'm curious to see some of the quarterbacks who stroll in, and you know St. Peter's Prep is going to be there. They're always there. Richie Hansen will bring down his, his kids, which means Jonathan Lewis, which means Sam Hellman gets to bring some Jonathan Lewis tape to the table next week after recording some of his performances, which I'm sure this time people will actually watch and comment on, <laughs> unlike when you did Micah Clark and had some great exclusive video and it acted like you were watching, you know, maybe we should have had kittens in it playing and then everybody would Yeah, I mean, I don't mind because I didn't vote Robert Martin and so uh, it was incredibly upsetting so I don't mind I understand that as long as people are talking I don't care what they talk about but I, I'm excited for this camp I, I think this is my maybe seventh or eighth seven on seven that I've seen at Rutgers and you said I'm old yeah exactly I've been here forever uh, St. Peter's Prep has probably won half of those uh, going back to Brandon Wimbush going back before then to Brandon Napoleon playing quarterback for them Hope Flash Training's here. Exactly. There, it's either St. Peter's Prep or a professional seven-on-seven team. But in looking at, you know, talking to people building up, I think there's going to be less of a seven-on-seven presence in this, which I think is good for everybody. You mean the all-star teams. Right. I, I agree with that because if you want to talk about, and, and we're going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but it is relevant. If you want to talk about what happened with relationship with coaches – you and I can go back and look at a couple years ago when, I believe it was Camden High, was playing in the 7-on-7. Seven seven it was Camden. And doing well. And now keep in mind, at the time, Camden had Brad Hawkins. Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson Jamal was there. Holloway, DeMille, DeMille Parker. Right. So they had a bunch of talent. Cesar Ruiz. Cesar Ruiz was there. I remember interviewing him inside the stadium. And... They were none too happy that for a high school 7-on-7, they got to go against next-level greats, which is a 7-on-7 company in South Jersey to where they train and do 7-on-7, and it's kids from everywhere in South Jersey. So, in essence, it's an all- Including kids from Camden. (laughs) Including kids from Camden. And, in essence, it is an all-star team. I mean, you had... Oh, jeez, I couldn't remember. I think maybe at the time Irvin Charles was on it. Juwan Johnson may have been playing. Um, Calvin Harmon. There were a lot of good players on there. Really good players. And I can remember... Everett Wormley. Everett Wormley. And I can remember watching the Camden coaches and kids get ticked off like you wouldn't believe because they had to face an all-star team in what's supposed to be a high school 7-on-7, and they were mad. And it took the coaches about 15, the Rutgers coaches, 15 minutes to try and settle them down and try to maneuver things. And, you know, just another example of kids then leaving campus ticked off because of what transpired because they felt like they got wronged. And and I remember talking to a couple of people involved saying, well, we'll never come to this seven on seven again. Um, so it's interesting to see if there's going to be no all-star teams because ASG Sports, which is uh, uh, Central Jersey, Eddie Lewis, Arthur Sikowski, Justin Shorter. My guy, Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett. They all play there. Sikowski's coming with his Oldbridge team. I think that's important to note. The same Shorter will be playing for South Brunswick, which is always competitive in these if they can find a quarterback. Uh, There's 
you talked about the the next level grades issue with Canman. The same thing happened with the Eastern Christian program, or even before that, they were called Red Lion, and they're blowing blowing out New Jersey public schools with good ties to Rutgers, and those schools are going home three hours earlier than they wanted and not feeling too great about it. it I would hope that this is a pure high school seven on seven because I've seen the all-star seven on seven tournaments all spring. I want to see something different. And I think that what you're going to see with Rutgers is you're going to see golf carts all over the place, making sure they hit every field. There's, I think I counted 13 fields where they're going to be playing. So it's really a, it's a logistical nightmare, but it's also a lot of fun to try and watch these guys hit every school, see every kid and uncover our little hidden gem like the, Rutgers did with Justin Shorter the last couple of years with these seven on sevens. I agree, and and one of the interesting dynamics to talk about is, and again, it's recruiting, so it's ridiculous. Yes, and you're going to sit there and say it really doesn't matter. This is why you love recruiting. It's a lot like the WWE it and is. a lot like the NBA in just the pure ridiculousness of the entertainment value of it. The but, only difference is recruiting isn't as quite as fixed. I mean, I know the NCAA tries to fix things. But it's a little more up above the table than the NBA. I haven't seen any moms on Twitter with recruits, but we'll see what happens this weekend with it. But the thing that's intriguing to me is, and again, this should have no bearing on anything, but it will. Who gets to play in the stadium during the normal games? Usually you have your different brackets, and there's usually six teams inside of Rutgers Stadium. And you can bet that... Five of those teams will have good prospects on it. Like, I'd be stunned if South Brunswick wasn't in the stadium. I've got my predictions right now. I'll give you my teams right now. Uh, South Brunswick's going to be in there. Uh, Cedar Creek is going to be in there. I think that uh, St. Peter's Prep, Prep will no be in doubt, there. No doubt. And then maybe a couple other locals. I, bet, I wouldn't be surprised if Old Bridge is in there. I want to see if Petty comes to it, because if Petty's coming to it, they're going to be in there. Exactly. Um, yeah, so you, you're trying to showcase it for... You know, hey, this is where you're going to play in the future, come to Rutgers. Which I get, you know, nice little selling point. But what I really find, I remember last year St. Peter's Prep was outside and K.J. Gray, who wanted to go to Rutgers the whole time and, and the old staff just didn't really want to push for him, they were not happy about, you know, the year before they have Minka Fitzpatrick, they're in the stadium. Now they don't have Minka Fitzpatrick. Nobody really on Rutgers, you know, they're not getting recruited by Rutgers in the in the 16th class and they're out of one of the turf practice fields. It's really, it's really quite entertaining. And what makes it better for you, Sam, this year's edition is I will be in Washington, D.C., Sound Mind, Sound Body, Thursday, Friday. Get home probably about 11.30 Friday night. Have to do some content from that. Be back over with you by 9 a.m. And you know what a treat it is for you to spend a whole day with me at a camp. Well, the last time I spent a whole day with you at a camp, all you did was complain about how your foot hurt for six hours. It's better. It's much better. Swimming well, injury. I'm sure you're going to re-aggravate it when you're down in, my, in Hellman Country in Washington, D.C. There's a good chance of that. But I do look forward to me saying, Sam, have you seen this kid? And when you say no, me asking you 30 seconds later, Sam, have you seen this kid yet? It's like the are we there yet uh, bit from the Simpsons in the car. But it just in closing up the 7-on-7 seven seven stuff, Brian's right in that a lot of it seems silly and overly dramatic, but that's what life is with 17-year-old kids. So I'm really excited from it from that aspect. Most interestingly at the 7-on-7, seven seven, I, I want to check out South Brunswick. I want to see Justin Shorter because his coach, Joe George, told me this kid's not camping anywhere this offseason. He's proved what he has to prove, so we're going to keep him healthy for the year. 
this is a little different, and this is also South Brunswick doing a favor for Rutgers and bringing some kids to check out. I want to see him, and I want to see how he interacts with the staff, and I wouldn't be surprised if half the Rutgers roster, if there's anyone there, comes and says hello. So what you're telling me is a guy like Mohamed Jabi may come out and talk to him, and a bunch of other players may come out and talk to Shorter if, in fact, he is in the stadium and it's easy access for them? Well, it's kind of like how Ray Rice bump, bumped into Micah Clark at the uh, satellite camp. That was coincidence. Everybody likes money, and eventually Rutgers is going to be making some pretty big money. The new reported TV deal with ABC, ESPN, Fox splitting it all up doesn't help Rutgers in the short term in building up to that 2021 integration. But what it does mean is that five, six years from now, Rutgers is going to literally be making 10 to 15 times what it made in the American Athletic Conference. It's an exciting time for Rutgers, and this is big in recruiting. If they're only making 15 times what they made in the American, bad deal going to the Big Ten. Um, It's huge in recruiting because maybe now they can get some drawings together and really put some plans in place, maybe figure out some creative accounting and business practices so you see this money coming down the pike and you can actually make some plans for the future in terms of, okay, we're going to get this money in six years. How about we get this thing built in four years, and then we'll start paying it off when that money starts coming in. Let's see if Rutgers has the vision and you know, the fortitude to make moves like that and actually become competitive in the facilities arms race. Because when you're watching schools like Northern Illinois build $100 million football complexes. Sean Frazier. Sean Frazier, good job by him. I know I've heard that name somewhere before. But you sit here and you wonder, and I know Hobbs has done a great job so far as an AD. I've said a lot of nice things about Chris Ash, but you also have to go do it. And so they need to find a way to make Robert Barchi understand that facilities are a must to increase the visibility, not only of the athletic program, but as the university as well. I'm going against my normal I'll-believe-it-when-I-see-it policy in in saying that I actually think that Rutgers is going to get some good stuff done knowing what's coming with this uh, pending TV deal. Robert Barchi, Greg Brown, whatever you want to call him, uh, has shown a more of a willingness to build towards the future and to embrace what the Big Ten really means. I know people see stuff on Twitter. Guess what? Rutgers is about to start making more money in TV than Notre Dame and Alabama. Well, yeah, and when you take that into account, you need to pounce on that. You need to take advantage, and with this upcoming facilities, the fundraising that Rutgers has been able to do without this money so far is good, and I know people are upset or concerned that Rutgers won't be getting the same money as Nebraska or Ohio State or whatever when this deal initially goes into place, Guess what? They're making, I think, what, $2 million in their big East TV deal, and so they're making... I think it was $2.3 million. Right. They're making seven times that already without being fully uh, integrated. Look, here were your choices. Take the deal the Big Ten was giving you, or right now we'd be talking about what SMU and UConn look like on the schedule. And I don't think anybody wanted that. Nobody wants to go back to stores or East Hartford. Fair point. But when you look at it, this is just... 
it's the way it is. And you can't sit there and say, well, it's unfair, blah, 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 whatever. It is what it is. You're not going to be able to go back on a deal. So you plan for the future. When you sit here and all you do is complain about it, it means you're not planning for the future and you're not looking ahead and you're not trying to make your program better. Um, Look, you've waited, other than the 10 years that Greg Schiano was here and maybe seven of them were good years, you've waited 140 years for good football. You can wait another three for the money to kick in. Then joining the conference, I just now all I can picture is Jim Delaney pulling a Darth Vader and the whole, uh, I've altered the terms of our arrangement, pray I don't alter them again. You don't need to rock the boat. You can you can appeal to Delaney for maybe a little extra scratch from this TV money to help get things going, but whether you get it or not, it doesn't matter. You're still in a much better place than you were before, you know, Pernetti and, and Delaney announced that from the Hale Center four years ago. And just to conclude on that part of it, with all the crap that the Big Ten has had to deal with since they took Rutgers in, just be quiet, thank them for basically saving your athletic life, move forward, and I'd rather you just say thank you and have a good day. Welcome to the Rutgers ScoutCast mailbag segment where we take your on-topic and off-topic questions every week talking Rutgers and having a little fun in the process. As always, you can direct your questions to me, Sam Hellman, at Sam Hellman Scout on Twitter or on the Scarlet Report Premium forums, which is where this question, these questions originated for the week. First question on topic comes from Squam94, and I'm paraphrasing here, but Brian, the question is essentially, assuming that Rutgers has a bad year this year on the field, which I think might be a fair assumption for a lot of people, uh, what happens to this recruiting class? Does it collapse, or, or do these kids stay together despite maybe a 3-9 and nine or 4-8 and eight season? 4-8 and eight would be a good season. I think so, too. I think it stays together. If, if these kids are out there thinking Rutgers is going 8-4 and four and they're going to play well, I mean, my goodness, they were in an absolute embarrassment defensively the last few years. Uh, they lost a ton of talent that was in the program. And the recruiting classes were awful, and they know it. They're being told this in recruiting, that they need to come in. They can play early. So if you're losing games, you're not going to sit there and say, oh, geez, this is shocking. Now, if you look poorly coached, if you're told A and B happens, then they'll look around. But I don't think so. I mean, these are kids that have a really strong connection with the staff, and it's about relationships. I think that's the first time I've said that, but it's about relationships. And I think this staff did an awesome job of building relationships because you have kids that got offers after they committed to Rutgers and they're not really taking visits. I know Jonathan Taylor said he may take a visit. I know there was talk of Bryce Watts going to Virginia Tech, but Watts says that he's 100% Rutgers after the camp. These kids are locked in. They feel good with the staff and they're trying to you know, they're not talking about winning championships at Rutgers when you talk to these kids and what the message of the staff. They're you talking mean every, about, every game isn't a Big Ten championship game? Not even the one against Howard or Norfolk State. But anyway, they're not talking about that. They're talking about the bond they have with the staff. Go look. Every kid talks about the assistant coaches and the head coach when you read these recruiting articles that we write. That wasn't happening before. You'd ask about, you know, look, they love Jim Panagos. I mean, every recruit loves Jim Panagos. They loved Campanelli, but... You know, there wasn't a lot of connection with the staff, and now you feel it. That's what keeps kids committed when you stink. 
when I talk to recruits about Rutgers, and you know, I do that occasionally, it's my job, I'm hearing about six or seven different assistants now, whereas with, last year I would hear about two, maybe three assistants on the staff. So I think that with this recruiting class, yes, they are going to lose some kids. I think they're going to lose two or three kids. And Sam, th- can you name those kids? <laughs> I can hear the question now. Exactly. But I, I think that uh, it's not about the final record. It's about the product on the field, and it's about how hard the coaches work during the season and talking to these kids. If you have a commit that hasn't heard from the coaching staff in six months, decommit, that wouldn't surprise me. And guess what? That happened multiple times in the last two years. But, but with this staff, it would mean they didn't want the kid anymore. Exactly. It wouldn't just be laziness or just overlooking it. Right. I, I think that there's a big difference between going 4-8 and eight like Rutgers did in 2010 and being competitive and being passionate and having the team really talk about being a team and going 4-8 and eight last year where it was not pretty. So I think that as long as you play respectfully – and you remain a close-bonded team, then I don't think the recruiting class is in that much trouble. Brian, going off topic this week, you can chip in with your UCLA experience on this one, I think, but Bruce asked our thoughts on the NBA Finals. Uh, I'm guessing that your knowledge of the NBA Finals, you probably, beyond your UCLA guys, didn't really pay much attention. I almost watched one of the games. I mean, I think I saw the last three or four minutes of Game 7, only because there was no soccer on at that moment that I wanted to watch. I don't really care about the NBA. I think it's they don't really try that hard during the regular season, during the playoffs, whatever. I mean, you know. That's why I love it. it it's I, I find the whole thing ridiculous. What I do know is my guy Kevin Love was uh, getting dogged a little bit. Here's all I can tell you about Kevin Love. He was a great kid to deal with. I covered him for a year. I loved him. I'm happy he won a championship. He had one of the best questions he ever asked me when I was he was getting ready for the NBA draft, and he said, you know, I'm learning about this thing where you they can take money out of your paycheck, and you don't really have to pay taxes on it, and they just save it in an account for you for when you get older. He goes, I'm really looking forward to that. I said, you mean a 401k? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. I said, you know you're going to make probably $100 million at least in your MBA career. I said, you know, I'm guessing you're going to have agents and everything take care of that. And he goes, I'm really excited because they're not going to tax my money. So that's, my, that's why I like Kevin Love. He, he, he just had, you know, an innocence to him. And then I you also... You know, his, for, his first big endorsement uh, in the NBA was Taco Bell, which is why I love Kevin Love. You too love Taco Bell. Because um, no matter what you get, there's no meat. And so... And then I listen to people just rip LeBron for not being any good. I mean, to me, if you rip LeBron, it shows me you have no understanding of what the game of basketball is about. I I obviously cheer against the Cavaliers as much as I can because I'm a big Washington Wizards fan. You're the one. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean I rip LeBron. I think that this was... I know that the NBA isn't actually fixed, but it's so much fun to look at it the way I look at wrestling where... There was just such perfect storytelling where you have the the lovable babyface Steph Curry against the evil LeBron James that sold out and is now coming back. It was just such a great double turn where now 
the Cleveland Cavaliers were shirtless J.R. Smith and Kevin Love shotgunning beers wearing a Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt after Game 7. They're the good guys now. It's just it's classic wrestling storytelling, and that's why I love the NBA. <laughs> so, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you get all that. Didn't some dude get hit in the man bits in one of the things? Well, in wrestling, we call them grapefruits. The grapefruits. So he got suspended because the NBA didn't want it to be a five-game series, but instead it cost Golden State the, the playoffs. Oh, it's awesome. It's like when Superfly Snooka headbutted Don Morocco out of the steel cage and he flipped out and Superfly lost, but kind of won. Well, that's another edition of the Rutgers Scoutcast. I hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, we will get back to our guest interviews starting next episode. Uh, right now, we're planning on talking to Rutgers basketball super fan and author Dave White next week uh, talking a little hoops finally on this podcast. He wrote a pretty interesting piece about the last time that Rutgers basketball was relevant for good reason. So I'm looking forward to talking to him about that and finding out what the heck is wrong with him and being so excited about Rutgers basketball with some of the struggles they've been through. So that's uh, something you can look forward to next week as well as a transition from the end of the camp season into the Rutgers football offseason, Big Ten media days are about a month away now. And most importantly, Sam's vacation is two and a half weeks away from now. And he doesn't get very many of those, maybe one every year or two. So he's excited about that. Uh, but that was, again, the latest episode of the Rutgers Scoutcast. Contact me with comments or questions for the show at Sam Hellman Scout on Twitter. ScarletReport.com is your site. And once again, I'm Sam Hellman. Thanks for listening.